This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. The International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women is observed every year on the 25th of November, which was just last Friday. How effective is the legal framework in Malaysia to address violations against women and girls? And how much progress has been made and still needs to be made in order for genuine societal shifts in attitudes towards gender equality and women's rights? For reflections on this issue, with me today are Abigail Nimbalker, Executive Committee Member at the Association of Women Lawyers, as well as Adam Idris, Advocacy Legal Service and Research Manager at Sisters in Islam. Adam, Abigail, welcome to the show. Adam, I'd like to start with you, drawing on your experience with Sisters in Islam. Within Malaysian society, what is recognized as violence against women and what is less acknowledged as such? All right. Um, speaking in the um, perception of awareness of domestic violence in, in uh, Malaysia, um, generally, I think Malaysians, uh, they, when they talk about violence against women, they are talking about physical violence against women. Um, however, there is certain caveats there that we have to put in, in terms of um, physical violence against women as well. Um, in the sense that, you know, we talk about domestic violence, we talk about uh, rape, but we can see that the attitude itself uh, towards this kind of um, issues to be uh, problematic, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, physical forms such as marital rape, child marriages, FGMC. These are the areas where we can see a more um, relaxed attitude in, in these particular areas. For the non-physical form, of course, um, there is an issue of understanding what are considered as non-physical form and how it is being perpetrated. Awareness on that particular area is not being highlighted much Mm. by the Malaysian public itself. Mm. Abigail, maybe you can elaborate as well on the kinds of cases that um, uh, your organisation is seeing when it comes to violence against women. Which ones get more recognition versus others? It's just like what Adam said. It's really the physical violence that gets a lot more airtime, so to speak. Or um, even women themselves are more aware of violence in the physical form and less aware of the fact that it does constitute violence if they feel a certain kind of emotional or mental oppression by their spouses as well or their partners. Um, And unfortunately, um, it's... Yes, public awareness is one thing, but women themselves are not aware of what violence against women is actually about or what it entails. Mm. And that is rather concerning and worrying. Before this, I was a community officer um, for YB Wong Chen. And during that time, we actually had people come up to us and say, oh, my husband is doing this, my husband is doing that. And we were like, that, that is violence against you. And they kind of like had to sit back and go like, It is. And so that is the level of um, education, Mm. of awareness that we have in our country. And mind you, at that time, Wong Chen was the um, member of parliament of Klana Jaya. So we had Subang Jaya and we also had Sri Satya. And in Sri Satya, you have more of the B40 community. And so that is where there is a lack of awareness um, in terms of what actually constitutes violence and what their rights actually are. Mm. 
Can I maybe just parse it out a little bit? Physical violence is very obvious what it is. Uh, when you're hit, it's physical. And what does non-physical violence then encompass? If maybe we could get some examples just to be clear, because I'm sure there are some listeners who are listening who probably don't realize um, how it's manifesting. Um, so what are forms of non-physical violence that we should be keeping an eye out on? Um, so in terms of uh, non-physical violence, in Sister in Islam, we classify it into uh, at least four areas, which are economic, um, psychological, social, and financial. Economic is basically uh, issues of not allowing women to go to work, you know, to provide for themselves. Uh, psychological is, of course, issues of mental health uh, as well, um, such as gaslighting, manipulating the women. Social would be you know, trying trying to like control the women's um, activities. The husband will say, "Look, we, we don't allow you to go out to meet certain people. Not go. Uh, we don't allow you to meet your parents or something like that." So mm-hmm. that that is considered social um, uh, violence and financial abuse. Is of course not providing for the for the women itself. Mm-hmm. So we classify that under these four categories. Abigail, how much of these offences are actually recognised by um, the laws in Malaysia? And what forms of violence um, maybe aren't represented in our laws at the moment? Right. I would think um, that it is actually cyber violence, which is less acknowledged and um, recognised by the laws that we have. The laws regarding domestic violence, they have been evolving over time. The issues with that, however is um, that there should be a broadening of the definition. Right now, it's limited to spouses. But the thing is that with society evolving, you have cases where um, partners are staying together and cohabiting. What, What about that? You know, I think that should also be recognized as domestic violence because it's happening in the context of an intimate relationship between two people. And so that is something that that should be done as well. It shouldn't just be in a marital relationship, but even in a non-marital one, as long as they are both committed to each other. So can I just clarify, if you're not in a if you're not married, um, but you are but you have incidences of violence from against the male partner, against the female partner, what redress would that female partner have then? That that would just be assault or battery. Um, you know, the common um, tort issues and criminal issues that which are recognised. But I think when it comes to domestic violence, what you have there is a restraining order, you know, or an interim protection order, so it's called. It's recognised as restraining order in Western countries, but in our country we call it the protection order. Mm. Um, and you have access to that if it's recognised as domestic violence. Now, with assault and battery... You don't. That is a completely separate application altogether. But in domestic violence, it's provided pending the investigation. So the moment you make a police report, the police are investigating. You have an interim protection order before they decide whether he's guilty or not. I see. That helps. Right. You don't have that if you're an assault victim or a battery victim. Mm -hmm. What are other gaps in the current protections? As we mentioned, there there are other forms of physical violence as well. There's rape, there's sexual harassment. Uh, How how well do our laws address these kinds of physical violence? Okay, so we've already spoken about domestic violence. So regarding rape, also broadening the definition of rape. Oral sex needs to be recognised. Penetration, any other parts of the body needs to be recognised. Penetration 
buy any objects as well. That needs to be recognised, but it's not. We only recognise a penile penetration. We don't recognise any other forms of forced penetration. Um, and so that needs to be changed. And we need to stop making rape a gender-specific thing as well in our laws because I think it's about time that we all recognise that even rape can happen to a male victim as well. Mm -hmm. And it's not just females. And the moment we broaden that definition um, in our laws, I think a lot of other male victims will come up and they they deserve to be as protected as women as well. Mm. Regarding sexual harassment... One thing great about the Sexual Harassment Act is that it provides you an alternative avenue of where you can go and put in your complaints uh, or put in your reports, so to speak. So now you don't just have the criminal aspect, you don't just have a recognised civil action in the courts, but now you also have what is known as a tribunal action. And a tribunal action is um, has more confidentiality, which employers and employees alike would prefer. So it very much sort of functions like the employment tribunal in our countries, um, where even to a certain extent, you actually do not need legal representation. It's yet to be tried and tested. I think we will need some time to see how well the law works uh, in favour of uh, sexual harassment victims. Uh, However, I do remember that in one discussion which we had in AWL, we did mention, and I believe um, Adam could probably um, second uh, second this or confirm this, one of the things that we wanted was for the act to be more victim-centric, which it isn't really. What does it mean for something to be seen as victim-centric? Meaning that even the procedures and everything from start to end is catered towards taking care of the victim. Um, the problem is the way the, the act is worded. There is no victim support in that entire legal process, mm-hmm. which is something that is needed. Because why? Well, because they are constantly reliving that trauma that happened to them. Because when you're in the courts, whether criminal, civil, or even tribunal, you would have to narrate your story over and over again until the court is satisfied that it understands where you're coming from. Now, going through that process is daunting and you're basically reliving the trauma all over again. So there needs to be more support for that. And what I mean for that is, I think in in some jurisdictions, they even have counsellors on board in the witness room with the victim, just prepping the victim up. And the moment the victim looks nervous on the stand because she's reliving a trauma or there's an emotional trigger, which one of the questions that the opposing lawyer has asked her, immediately someone would stand up and put a stop to it because there's someone speaking up for the victim. We don't have those things in place in our laws at this moment. It's just the victim, the lawyers for her and against her, and the judge in front. So what needs is a recognition that um, victims, they are at a disadvantage. So it's recognizing that they need extra support. I'm speaking to Abigail Nimbalka, Executive Committee Member at the Association of Women Lawyers, and Adam Idris, Advocacy Legal Service and Research Manager at Sisters in Islam. We'll come back with more on The Breakfast Grill. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. 
Thanks for staying tuned to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. And to mark International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, which was last Friday, the 25th of November, today I'm speaking to Abigail Nimbalker, Executive Committee Member at the Association of Women Lawyers, and Adam Idris, Advocacy Legal Service and Research Manager at Sisters in Islam. Adam, we've been discussing about the legal protections that are in place, but in your experience, what have been some of the difficulties for um, women to actually access these legal protections? Okay, in terms of accessing the protection, now we have seen a lot of um, problems in access. The first issue is, of course, uh, uh, emotional feelings of the victim itself. Um, now that when when someone is is suffering from abuse or from violence, the person will always you know question themselves, asking why like does this happen to me because of how I act or how I wear or how you know how I carry myself. So there will be doubt. There will be a lot of self doubt. So that self doubt will be a a problem for this. Um, victim, or you know, we like to actually use the word survivors right? for mm. the survivors to uh, go out and you know make make a complaint. So that is number one. That is the first issue. The second one will be uh, in terms of finance. All right now, you have to understand that some of these um, survivors they are not in the urban areas. They are maybe they are very far away in rural areas. To for them to come out. And go to make a report, go to like for example, you want to make a, they want to get an emergency protection order from DKM. They have to travel, they have to have the means to travel itself. The third issue is of course time, right? <clears throat> so if it happens in um, rural in, in areas where to make the report, it's you know it takes some time to travel. They have to think about you know how to travel there. When when do they have to travel there? What are their schedule like? You know, some of them are working and some of them have two jobs. So time is an issue. And then, of course, we have issues of uh, managing. Uh, if, if they are married, then managing their children as well. Um, you know, the, some of them, they, they have to take care of their children. If they make a report, who are going to take care of their children? Mm. And if they have to bring along their children, then the child, if the child is still schooling, then the child might miss some schools uh, and then of course you have to burden, you have to burden the child with your issues as well um, so these are the four main areas that we have seen uh, when when uh, a survivor wants to access mm. where we see an access to justice itself so from the get-go, we can see that um, the cards are actually stacked against the survivor. And thank you, Adam, for also correcting the terminology. It's so important to use, um, I think, empowering and affirmative terminology. So survivors of um, violence rather than victims of violence. Um, we have so many different um, ministries. I mean, I think the typical ministries we, we look at when it comes to addressing violence against women is the police, which is under the Home Affairs Ministry. And the Ministry of Women um, also come into play in this issue. What kind of collaboration or what kind of cooperation actually happens between um, these two ministries? Could there be better coordination when it comes to actually taking action against um, cases of violence like this? I think besides those two, I think it's about time we brought in the Multimedia Commission as well. You know, um, cyber violence is just increasing as social media becomes the number one thing that we all go to. 
the younger generation of girls and women are on TikTok, are on Instagram. And there's just a huge amount of issues like online stalking, online sexual harassment that eventually leads to online bullying and online blackmailing. And these things, I think, are not talked about enough. And if they are, they are not addressed enough. Mm. And I really think that it's about time MCMC just comes on board and starts, um, you know, pulling through all of these reports and immediately taking down those contents. There are so many personal attacks against women and girls in the cyber realm that just needs to be addressed as quickly as possible. And speed is an issue. And I just want to add on to that by saying that our laws at the moment are not capable of handling things like digital evidence purely because, um, you know, uh, we don't have a lot of cases where we would have to track down an, um, an IP address or a digital address and kind of like present that in court. And even if we do, what do we do with that? Do we get a digital expert to come in to say that, yes, that tracking ID belongs to this person, even though it's taken from this particular computer? I think it's about time that um, Parliament sits down and recognises that society is evolving on a very scary level and they have just got to keep up with the times. Our laws have got to keep up with the times so that our people can be protected better. Mm. Adam, what do you think? What other gaps in, I guess, the laws or enforcement authorities or in, in terms of what needs to be done um, to better address violence against women? Right, so the, um, just to answer the first question, uh, that's, uh, uh, to add on what uh, Abigail has said um, previously, uh, the agencies that we like to see addressing violence against women is, of course, number one, the Ministry of Finance, uh, because they are the ones who provide budget for, so that this ministry can enforce their policies uh, or you know make a study. And then, of course, we like to see the Ministry of Health as well to uh, assist the Ministry of Women as well um, in providing proper health care, proper uh, counselling to the survivors themselves. And of course, uh, the ministry of uh, the, the the prime minister ministry under the Bahagian Hal Ewal Naundang also needs to come out with uh, laws like Abigail has mentioned um, in order to better protect the survivors. Mm. Uh, this is of course in, they must be in concert with the EG chambers as well. So <clears throat> of course, there are other there are other ministers or other other departments that we want to see um, working together. Um, for example, like statistics as well. Statistics, um, unfortunately, the statistics that we have on violence against women is not comprehensive enough. For example, like uh, issues of child marriage. Uh, recently, they, they come up with a statistic, but they, lump, they don't mention uh, those who are married below 18. They just lump sum it under as marriage below 20 years of age. Mm. So that kind of uh, uh, statistics... We need, we need those kind of statistics. So there's a whole network of government actors that could get more involved in addressing this issue. And I think we've really only scratched the surface of it. In the little bit of time that we have, I'd like to get your final thoughts on progress that has been made to take action on violence against women, as well as priority areas that you hope to see the new government address. We'll start with Adam and end with Abigail. Right. So the um, previous government, they have, you know, um, they had some some um, good, you know, initiative in uh, protecting women. Number one, they, they did they did form uh, squad wajah, 
right? So credit have to be given to them on spot wajah. So wajah have uh, uh, assisted uh, women in, in in areas where it's uh, a bit inaccessible for uh, NGOs as well, eh? because NGOs are a lot of NGOs are concentrated within the Klang Valley itself. So Squad Wajah was, uh, is, is a good initiative by the government. Um, of course, uh, the Italian Maikase is a good initiative. Uh, and then the government, they have, the previous government, they have made two significant uh, reforms to the law. One is, of course, the anti-sexual harassment bill. And the other one is on the stalking laws as well. Uh, credit to all of, the, all of uh, the people have been working on this uh, laws, um, but the question remains as to how the law is going to be enforced or practiced. Uh, the anti-sexual harassment bill will be, I think, to start to be enforced uh, next year, yes, as, as similar to the stalking, uh, yeah. anti-stalking laws. Um, what we want to see, of course, we would like to see, um, you know, the things that we have discussed, like trying to fit into uh, digitalization uh, evidences we like to see uh, of course the gender equality bill we like to see a more uh, inclusive um, policy we like to see uh, education and training to relevant um, authorities we like to see a basic uh, policy that you know covers the areas on women's not only on women on protection of women but on the equality mm. of women mm. as well. What about you, Abigail? I think, you know, the fact that they are passing laws on, you know, sexual harassment and stalking, that is something I think many of us would not think that we would see um, happen in today's day and age. But it was something that they did in the end. And I think that is already a sign that they are moving towards a healthy direction. Yes, um, we are left wanting with more. More needs to be done. I'm not saying this is enough, but I'm just saying that this is a good step, a good indication of where we are headed as a nation, as a country. I think what I would want to see would be a forced marriage act further down the pipeline, you know, um, which would probably include child marriages, which mm. should include child marriages. Um, but something like that would be great to see. Um, policies that allow sex education in schools to ensure sexual and reproductive health and rights of women, that would be great as well. Um, yeah, uh, so there's just all of these things that, that, that I would like to see happen. And I think I would really like to see more male politicians coming on board the fight as well. Mm. I think we know amazing people like Hannah Yo. We know that, that they are going to be talking about these issues, but I think we need more men on board. You know, I think we need to have that partnership. And I would love, you know, to have them um, and to hear about their perspectives and their opinions. Um, and even in our women rallies, to see more men come by and support us, that would be great. Adam, Abigail, thank you so much for sharing your insights on this really important topic on the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I've been speaking to Abigail Nimbalker, Executive Committee Member at the Association of Women Lawyers, and Adam Idris, Advocacy, Legal Service and Research Manager at Sisters in Islam. This has been The Breakfast Grill on BFM 89.9.
The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.